Episode 2 of All Those Things Revealed. My father was named for Father Jeffrey DeLamar, who was attained for treason. Father DeLamar was truly guilty of treason, but it was against a Tudor monarch, and they were all against the Irish. My father would say, hang them all, if asked about the Tudors. Father DeLamar's distinction was a source of pride for our kin. As I walked home, my pace was not nearly as brisk as it had been before. I began to take in details that I had rushed past just minutes earlier. My father and his men were not the only ones working to restore our town. At least every other street had some sort of restoration work underway. Athlone had been devastated. As I reached my door, I felt Cuckoo rub against my legs. He followed me into my home. Mother was seated at the table, reading a letter. Ma, you should see how much work is being done. At least a hundred men are working on various buildings in the main part of town, I blurted out as I entered my home. My mother looked up from her letter. She quickly folded it. August and September were terrible. Mrs. Nugent, who is ninety if she is a day, cannot remember so much rain falling in such a short period of time. Between the rain and the flooding, we are fortunate the Athlone didn't suffer even more damage, Mother said quickly. I seated myself next to her. Are you writing to someone? I asked, eyeing the letter. Or did someone send us a letter? She sighed and unfolded the letter before placing it back onto the table. I could tell that she was irritated. I also knew that she would likely tell me all if I was only silent and patient. Even when our grand landlords are clever, they are still Amadons, she said, her voice agitated and pitched. Mother's Irish was limited, so mine was too. I had heard Mother use this term before, but she was always so irritated when she did so that I had never asked her to clarify. She must have noticed the look on my face and realized that I was not fully comprehending her words. I didn't even need to ask. A hapless fool. That is the perfect definition of an amadon, she said. I did not say a word. Mother picked up the letter and then threw it back onto the table before she continued. A Mr. Macy of County Clare instructed his tenants to raise their lazy beds. What is a lazy bed? I asked. You have never heard folks speak of an anor, a lazy bed? Mother asked with surprise. She sighed. There is so much you do not know. I suppose that is my fault and your father's. She got up from the table. She took me by the hand and led me to the back door. We walked out into the cool January air. Our plot of land was small. The land behind our house was about the exact same size as our cottage. We had a chicken coop, which father had built a few years ago. Our original chicken coop was attached to the exterior wall of my room. When I was small, I would hear chickens scratching throughout the night. I used to wonder if they ever slept. This extension became father's work shed when he built our larger coop. We also had a vegetable patch at the very back of our plot. It was small, but the yield could be generous. We paused at a small bench and she let go of my hand. She picked up a small shovel and grabbed my hand again. We walked to our vegetable patch. She let go of my hand and kneeled. She began to dig a narrow canal in the soil, roughly the length of my foot. 
She glanced up at me. Bring me a handful of straw, please, she said. I walked to our chicken coop where we kept the bale of straw. I struggled to get a handful and brought it back to mother. When she had finished digging her canal, she took the straw from my hands and packed it on the ground next to the canal that she had dug. She tossed dirt on top of the straw. She then began to dig another canal, which ran parallel to the first one. She piled her freshly dug dirt on top of the space separating the two canals, completely covering the straw. The wide space between these two canals was almost as wide as the canals were long. When she had finished, she wiped her hands on her skirt and looked up at me. This is a lazy bed, she said, pointing to the raised mound of dirt and straw between the two canals. Imagine that this lazy bed is much larger, as wide as five yards and several times longer than that. The farmers piled these mounds a foot high with soil and seaweed or even dung. They add the mulch, such as the straw, and then pile more soil on the top. They plant their potatoes in these beds, she added. She put a finger into the center of her lazy bed and made a small hole. She then made another one near the first one. The seed potatoes are simply placed into the soil and covered, she continued. She stopped up and covered a hole with a small amount of dirt. She then traced her finger over the raised soil and placed her fingers into one of the canals. The rain saturates the soil, but if there is too much rain, it runs off of the lazy beds and into these canals, she concluded. Mother stood up and wiped her hands again. She looked intently at me before continuing. I need you to keep a secret for me. I nodded and remained silent. I had learned through the years that when Mother was agitated, I should remain quiet. We walked back to the cottage in silence. Mother walked straight to the table and wiped her hands clean with a damp towel. I sat down beside her. Many of our countrymen eat potatoes and seldom eat anything else, she said. I know. Father told me that many people would be unable to pay their rents if they ate anything other than potatoes, I said. Mother nodded. That is true. Did he tell you how many types of potatoes are grown in Ireland, she asked. No, I said. More than a dozen varieties of potatoes are grown in our country, she said. She gave me a sad smile. The people who are forced to live almost solely on potatoes only grow one type. It is called the Irish lumper. It is better suited to poor soil, and the yield is plentiful enough when land is very limited. A single acre of land can feed a family of six. It is the natural choice for the poorest amongst us. Do we eat Irish lumpers when we eat potatoes? I asked. Mother smiled broadly at this. No, we don't, she said. She sighed again. Many potato farmers in our country have three harvests. The first is in June, and it is a small harvest. The second is in July, and it too is a small harvest. The third is in August, and it is a sizable harvest, she said. She shook her head with a grim look on her face. Those that rely on the Irish lumper have only one harvest, and it is not until September or October. If we have a late spring and they are unable to plant until after Easter, their harvest can be as late as the end of October. The lumper takes longer to grow, I asked. Yes, 
It is a bastard. It takes very long to grow. It is watery, a poor texture, and it doesn't taste very good. Its only redeemable attribute is that it is plentiful, she said. She picked up the letter again. I know that I have never before asked you to keep anything secret from your father. I am asking you now, she added. Ma, I will not tell Da about the letter, I said, hoping to reassure her. Her expression and words were causing my unease to increase by the minute. That's a dear. I need to tell you why this letter must be kept from your Da, she said, placing the letter back onto the table. Her expression had softened, but she was still not herself. I reached for the letter and folded it neatly. I placed it in my pocket. I was determined to put her mind at ease. Ma, I will put this someplace where Da will never find it. I know you worry that Da will be called away for another job. Is that what this... Yes, that is why I don't want him to see that letter, she said, interrupting me. I promise he won't, I said hurriedly. Mother reached for my hand and gave it a squeeze. She let go of my hand and looked away from me before continuing. I owe you an explanation, she sighed and returned her gaze to me. The letter is from a Mr. Macy in County Clare. He convinced his tenants that they should raise their lazy beds so that they were much higher than usual and increase the size and width of their lazy bed canals. He did this because he recognized the vulnerability of his tenants. If especially heavy rains were to come near the end of a growing season in August or September, as they did this last autumn, the potatoes would rot in the ground. That is what has happened across Western Ireland. People are starving. He saved his tenants' potatoes, I said. Yes, he did, but his scheme worked too well. His tenants' potatoes were not rotted, but the rains were carried away in the wider canals so effectively that their cottages were flooded. He has tried to restore their cottages, but he is overwhelmed. He writes that less than a third had been restored properly, despite his best efforts for the last three months, she said. He wants Da to come and restore the cottages, I said. Yes, but that is not all. He wants to put barriers in place so the farmers will not abandon their new practice of raising the lazy beds. The job could easily take many months, possibly a year to complete, she said. Da wouldn't go away for that long, I said reassuringly. Ma shook her head. You don't understand, Constanza. He would, and we would have to accompany him. We would be uprooted for months. Do you want that to happen to us? She asked pointedly. Now I realized the full extent of the damage this letter could do. No, I don't want to leave our home, I said. I don't want to either. That is where we belong. Your father should never learn of this. Are we in agreement? She asked. The very thought of leaving was awful. I nodded my head and quickly replied, Yes, I will not say a word, I promise. Now give me the letter. I will burn it the next time he is called away for a few days, she said. You don't trust me? I asked accusingly. I regretted it as soon as the words escaped my lips. Ah, Costanza, I trust you completely. I don't want you to carry this burden, she said. I took the letter out of my pocket and handed it to her. She squeezed my hand. Why can't we burn it now? I asked. Mother smiled with a sardonic grin. The quality people only use the best. This paper is so thick that it could be used by the king himself. 
it will have to be burned twice for the ashes to be inconspicuous, and the ink is probably fine too. It will give off a terrible odor once we burn this letter. We will have to wait until your father will be gone for a few days before we can burn it, she said. Mother placed the letter in her apron pocket. Ma, aren't we going to the market today? I asked. Mother stood up and smoothed her apron. Yes, we are. We should leave now before it begins to rain, she said. When we return, can you tell me the story that you mentioned earlier? The one Da told you so that you would agree to marry him, I implored. Mother smiled slyly and simply said, I may. Later, when we returned from the market, Mother busied herself preparing dinner. It had started to rain while we walked home. Mother managed to stay dry with her cape, but I had not dressed for the weather and was drenched to the bone. Mother hollered from the hearth, Dry yourself and change your clothes. Your father will be home soon. I did as I was told. As I towel-dried my hair, I looked at my reflection in the mirror. My features were strong, maybe even a bit too strong. It didn't help matters that my skin was so pale as to be virtually colorless. My only color was to be found with my blue-gray eyes and my dark brows. I had been told more than once that my eyes were my most becoming feature. My dark hair often hung loose, but I had begun to wear it pulled up or away from my face. I was tall for my age and still very thin. As I had grown, I had not filled out. I had simply become thinner. Most would say that I was more striking than I was pretty. I would have to agree with them. I finished toweling my hair and sat on my bed. Within seconds, Cuckoo jumped onto my bed. I petted his head absentmindedly and looked with longing at my pillow. I decided to lie down for just a short spell, hoping that no one would be the wiser. I closed my eyes. Cuckoo curled into a ball next to me and was soon asleep. I felt the rhythm of his breathing and soon I too had fallen asleep. I woke to my mother calling my name. My room was dark. How long had I been asleep? I quickly got out of bed and smoothed my hair. I rushed to the hearth. Were you sleeping, Costanza? Mother asked, giving me a look of disapproval. Yes, Ma, just for a bit, I said. I suppose you were awake well into the night reading one of your books by candlelight. Hmm? Mother teased. I nodded. I knew that there was no use in denying it. Mother shook her head, but I could tell that she wasn't truly irritated. She liked the fact that I was such an avid reader. She and Father knew that if they wished to buy me a book, a book would always please me more than anything else. Both of my parents could read and write. They had both received some schooling, but it was not as good as the schooling that I had received. Mother had received the most schooling of the two, but I had already surpassed her in my studies. I knew that my schooling was a considerable expense. I also knew that my parents did not resent the expense. Is there anything I can do to help? I asked. Yes, please make sure that Cuckoo doesn't jump onto the table, Mother replied. She cast a glance at Cuckoo, who had followed me out of my room and was now eyeing the table. I walked over and picked up Cuckoo, holding him in my arms. I started to sit down when I heard Father approaching. He opened our small door. He seemed to fill the doorway. Cuckoo jumped down from my arms and rushed to him. 
father reached down and scratched the back of Cuckoo's head. Hello, Da, I said. He patted my head and walked towards my mother, giving her a quick kiss. They were a very affectionate couple. My friend's parents were never as affectionate as mine. He soon walked past me again and headed to my parents' room. When he returned, he seemed to fill our main room as he had filled the doorway. Our main room was crowded with the usual items. We had several baskets. We had a large chest near my room. We also had a large hutch near the hearth that kept all of Mother's household necessities. We had a settle bed against the wall that provided more storage. When it was closed, it was a nice seat for company, and it could be easily opened to become a spare bed. Our large table was near enough to the hearth to feel the warmth emanating from the fire on a cold night. My father offered to enlarge our cottage, but mother told him to leave it as it was. He built it for her, and she did not want him to change it. Only with father was mother more sentimental than she was practical. In all other matters, she was usually very practical. The one exception was when she begged for a water closet. Father refused, which was odd because he seldom refused a request of hers outright. This time he refused to even speak of it, let alone contemplate it. He said, let the rich collect their shit under their roofs. I realized that we would be using chamber pots for as long as we lived in our cottage. Mother had made my father's favorite dinner, champ, with extra butter and cheese. She had also made a stew. Champ is usually a mixture of cooked potatoes with scallions. Butter, cheese, and milk are added to this. Father liked to eat a large plate of this with some mutton or beef stew poured over it. This meant that our stew never had potatoes, and we were probably the only household in Athlone that could claim to have stew without potatoes. Father enjoyed his champ more than his stew. A pot of stew could easily last us for a few days, but during that time, Mother would daily be peeling potatoes and making more champ. Once we had finished dinner, Father sat near the hearth in his favorite chair. He lit his pipe. I carefully watched him as the expression on his face became more and more relaxed. When his eyelids began to get heavy, I knew the time was right. Da, Ma promised to tell me a story, I said. Is that so, he said lazily. She told me that it was the story that you told her when you two first met. She liked the story so much that she agreed to marry you. She promised. Father chuckled before interrupting me. I believe I can tell that story even better than your mother can. I leapt from my chair and sat on the floor by his feet. Mother walked towards us carrying a couple of mugs of hot tea. She handed one to my father. My father took a sip of tea. He set down his mug and began. At the time that the Normans invaded, a Caliday priest by the name of Father Patrick Malone lived near Clonmacnoise, the largest and wealthiest of Irish monasteries. It is located just south of Athlone. His family name, Malone, Moyle Owen, means servant of John. He was descended from St. Shannon, who built churches in many parts of Ireland. Shannon, little John, was a name given to St. Shannon by his followers because they believed that he was like his namesake, St. John. 
Father Malone's priestwoman was named Aidan, and he feared for her safety as the Normans devoured more and more of their kingdom. He knew that he could find refuge for them in the West among other Caladay families. With shadows closing in around him, he placed Aidan in a convent. The good sisters promised to take care of her until he could return for her. He instructed her to visit a nearby cave each day. When he returned, he would go directly to that cave and wait for her. He left with a heavy heart. At first, she did as she was told and visited the cave daily. It was said to be a cave of the Morrigan, a fairy princess. The Morrigan often foretells tragedy and can manifest herself into a crow. Each time Aidan visited, she would fall into a fit of despair on finding that Father Malone was not waiting for her. One day after visiting the cave, a crow passed by her. It lingered and watched her before flying directly towards her. She threw her cloak over her head and narrowly avoided the crow. It flew away and she ran to the sanctuary of the convent. Her despair had made her certain that the crow was the Morrigan foretelling her sad fate. She was certain that Father Malone would not return for her. She told the good sisters that she wished to take the veil and join their community. The abbess of the convent tried to convince her to banish her doubts, but Adon was firm in her resolve. After several days, the abbess acquiesced to Adon's wishes and agreed to let her join their community. Adon took her vows, was shorn of her hair, and donned the full habit. Not long after, she heard that Father Malone had been seen at the cave. She quickly changed into her old clothing, covered her head with the veil, and left the sanctuary. She arrived at the cave, and Father Malone was waiting for her. He embraced her, and soon they were carried away as lovers often are. They spent that night in each other's arms. The following morning, Father Malone discovered that Adan's hair was shorn. He knew that she had been conquered by her sorrows and doubts. He was devastated. He was a priest, and as a priest, he was a brother in Christ. She was a nun, which meant that she was a bride of Christ. As such, their union was a form of incest. They could no longer be together. He told her that she must return to the good sisters. Adon did as she was told to do, but she was not forthright with the good sisters. She confessed that she had ran away to find Father Malone, but she told them that he had not been waiting for her. She told the mother abbess that she spent the night in the cave because she had been too frightened to return in the still of the night. After several weeks, it became obvious that Adan was with child. When her treachery was discovered, the abbess told her that she could no longer be a part of their religious community. She would be allowed to stay until her child was born, and then she would have to leave. In time, Adan gave birth to a son. The child was named Patrick, after his father. Once Adan was able to travel, she began the long journey to her mother's house near Ahaluan in the old kingdom of Maide. She was terrified to return. She knew that she would bring shame to her family. She also knew that her story had not reached Ahaluan and she was determined to keep it a secret. On arriving home, she told a deceitful tale of heartbreak. 
she told her kin that she and Father Malone had been separated and that she had been forced to marry one of the Normans. Then her new husband had been called away. She had taken refuge in a convent, and soon after she had learned of his death. She had taken a veil and then discovered that she was with child. She was released from her religious vows. Once her child was born, she had left for home. Now, as a widow, she hoped to live out her days with her child among her kin. When asked for her child's father's name, Idan replied, De Amor, which means of love, for she still loved Father Malone and believed that her child had been conceived with an act of love, even though she had been deceitful. Her family assumed that she had meant to say de la mar, which means of the sea, and has nothing to do with love. Le Mar was a Norman settlement in France located close to the sea. It was not unusual for people from that settlement to call themselves de la mar. Adan did not reply when her family corrected her. She spent her days in sorrow and regret. Her only joy was her son. She longed for her true love, but knew that he had sent her away. She believed that if he had been willing to forgive her, he would have visited the good sisters, and they would have told him where to find her. She prayed that he would come to her, but as the years went by, she found herself bereft of hope. She mourned her loss for the rest of her days, always wearing the dark veil she had worn when she had deceived her true love and conceived their son. On her deathbed, she revealed the truth to her son Patrick. He immediately sought out his true father, Father Malone. He found him, but he arrived too late. Father Malone had died on the very same day as his beloved Adon. He had never forgiven himself for having sent her away. Patrick learned that his father, Father Malone, had gone to the Good Sisters and was told that Adon had returned home. He had journeyed towards her home, but before he could reach her, he had encountered a priest that had known him in happier times. This priest had heard the story that Adon had told her family from her father's own lips. Father Malone was told of her perpetual veiling and mourning, as she was unable to recover from the loss of her husband, the one who had given her the child she clung to with such ferocity. Father Malone wept. He blamed himself for having abandoned her. He returned to Clonmacnoise to live out his days in solitude. He never learned that his true love was mourning the loss of him, not another, and that the son she clung to was his, not another's. That is the story of Father Malone and his calling on Sagart, Father concluded with a triumphant sigh. His calling on, I said, mispronouncing the words, Father interrupted me before I could do any worse. The woman of a Caliday priest is a calling on Sagart, literally girl of the priest, this is even an official title in the parts of Ireland that still adhere to this tradition. In these parts, most folks simply refer to the Colleen Ansagert as the priest woman, he said. This is still practiced in some parts, I asked incredulously. Yes, we have a priest woman that lives no more than ten miles from here. She is very old and her priest is dead, he said. Mother nodded her head in agreement. I was stunned. 
I did not believe that our priest was aware that people came in two sexes. I couldn't imagine him with a wife. Even in places where the tradition has died away, the title is still often reserved for the housekeeper of the priest. This is the case even if she is 80 and he is still a young lad, father said with a smile spreading across his face. We all laughed at this. Now I wasn't sure if he was telling me the truth. I pulled on his leg and looked up to him. Da, is your story true? Yes, I believe it is, but who can say, he said. This episode of All Those Things Revealed is based on a novel of the same name, available in print and Kindle formats at Amazon.com. Thank you for listening to the Irish Stories podcast.